0: Chapter six of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This Libervox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Dennoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter six A week went by. Of a messenger there was not even a shadow. Gildastregomaine said he would not be just as much astonished to see the prophet Elijah return from the sky. But he took care not to express his opinion in this biblical form before Captain Antifer. As to a Nogate and Jewel, they hardly gave a thought to the messenger of Camelake Pasha who, as far as they were concerned, was a purely imaginary being. No, they were busy with their preparations for that charming land of matrimony, which the young man knew the longitude and the girl the latitude, and which would be easy to reach by combining these two geographical elements. They might rest assured that the combination would take place on the 5th of April, the date fixed. As to Captain Antifer, he had become more unsociable and more unapproachable than ever. The date of the ceremony was a day nearer every 24 hours. A few weeks only, and the young couple would be united. A fine result, truly. In his heart, their uncle had been dreaming of superb alliances for them when he became a rich man. And if he made so much of these millions, these undiscovered millions which belonged to him, it was not with an idea of enjoying them himself, of living a grand life, of dwelling in a palace, riding in a carriage, dining off gold plates, wearing diamond studs. No, he was thinking of wedding jewel to a princess and a nogate to a prince. That was his whim, his monomania, and here was his heart's desire in jeopardy owing to a messenger not arriving at a proper time. And for want of a few figures which, combining with others he already possessed, Cameli's hiding place would not yield up his treasures until too late. Entifer stormed no more. He could not remain inside the house, and it was all the better for the peace of the household that he was outside. They saw him only at mealtimes, and his meals he got through at double the usual rate. Whenever there was an opportunity, Tregomain offered his cheek to the smiter in the hope of provoking an explosion, which would relieve his friend who sent him to Jericho. In short, it was to be feared that he was going to be ill. His only occupation was to stride about the railway station, watching the arrival of the trains, and about the Cillian Keys, watching the arrival of the boats, endeavoring to discover among the passengers some exotic figure which might belong to the envoy of Kamalik, an Egyptian, without doubt, perhaps an Armenian certainly a foreign personage recognizable by his appearance his accent his clothes and would ask for the address of pierre servan Malo antifer and there was nobody of this sort normans bretons english scandinavians there were many but travellers from eastern europe maltese or levantines there were none on the ninth of february after a breakfast at which he had not opened his lips except to eat and drink captain antifer went forth for his usual walk like another Diogenes, in search of a man. He went along the narrow streets of the town, bordered by their tall granite houses, and paved with pebbles. He descended the Rue du Baie towards duguay square looked at the time on the dial at the Sioux Prefecture, hurried towards the Palais-Chateaubriand, turned round by the kiosk under its canopy of leafless plains, passed through the gate and the curtain of the rampart, and found himself on the quay. He looked to the right, to the left, in front of him, behind him, Puffing jerkily and furiously at his pipe. Every now and again he had to return a salute, for he was one of the notables of St. Malo, a man of consideration. But many were the salutes he did not return, owing to his not noticing that they were addressed to him. In the harbor were a number of ships sailing vessels, and steamers, brigs, schooners, luggers, chasmorees. The tide was then low, two or three hours having to elapse before the ships reported by the semaphore to be in the offing could enter. Antifer thought it would be wisest to go off to the railway station and await the arrival of the express. Would he be more fortunate on this occasion than he had been during so many weeks? How easy the human machine could go wrong. Antifer, occupied in watching the passers-by, did not notice that for twenty minutes he'd been followed by someone well worth his attention. Here was a foreigner, a foreigner with a red fez and a black tassel, wearing a long, loose coat, fastened with long single rows of buttons right up to the neck, with a pair of baggy trousers, below which was a pair of big shoes like Turkish slippers. He was anything but young, perhaps sixty, perhaps sixty-five, stooping rather, and holding his long, bony fingers spread across his chest. If this good man were not the expected Levantine, there could be no doubt that he came from some land bordered by the eastern Mediterranean. An Egyptian, an Armenian, a Syrian, an Ottoman. In short, the stranger followed Captain Antifer in a hesitating way, sometimes on the point of accosting him, sometimes stopping for fear of making a mistake. At length at the corner of the quay he quickened his step, caught up Antifer, and then turned so suddenly as to run against him. Confound you, you clumsy brute exclaimed the captain, shaken by the collision. Then, rubbing his eyes and holding his hand to his eyebrows to shade his sight, he exclaimed, Eh? Ah uh, oh he can it be? This must be the messenger of the Double K. If it were the said envoy, he certainly did not look promising, with a smooth face, his fat cheeks, his pointed nose, his big ears, his thin lips, his huge chin, his furtive eyes—anything but a physiognomy that inspired confidence. "'Have I not the honor of addressing Captain Antifer, as an obliging sailor has just told me?' said the stranger, in a most deplorable accent. "'Antifer, pierre Servan Mallow, was the reply. "'And you?' "'Ben Omar.' "'An Egyptian?' "'Notary at Alexandria.' just come from the Hôtel de l'Union, Rue de les Poissonnières. A notary with a red hat? Evidently notaries in Oriental countries were not of the French type, with white cravat, black clothes, and gold spectacles. And it was just as astonishing to find that there were notaries at all in the country of the pharaohs. Antifred no longer doubted that he had before him the mysterious messenger, the bearer of the famous Longitude announced twenty years before in Camelink's letter. But instead of giving himself away, as might be supposed, instead of asking Omar questions, he had sufficient control over himself to await events, for the duplicity betrayed portrayed on the visage of the living mummy warned him to be circumspect. Never would Tregomain have believed his excitable friend capable of such prudence. "'Well, what do you want with me, Mr. Ben-Omar?' he asked, noticing that the Egyptian looked embarrassed. "'A few minutes' conversation, Mr. Antifer.' "'Do you mean at my house?' "'No. It would be better to be somewhere where no one could overhear us.' It is a secret, then? Yes and no. Or rather, a bargain. Antifor started at this. Evidently, if this individual had brought the longitude, he had no intention of delivering it gratis. He had the letter signed with a double K. He said nothing about a bargain. Take care of the helm, he said to himself, and keep an eye on the way the wind blows. Then, addressing himself to his interviewer and pointing to a lonely corner at the end of the harbour, he said, Come there. We shall be quite enough alone to talk of secret matters but let us make haste, for it is cold enough to cut you through. They had not more than twenty yards to go. No one was on the vessels more in the quay. The Custom House officer on duty was half a cable length away. In a minute or so they were at the spot, and seated on the end of a spar. Will this place suit you, Mr. Ben Omar? asked Antifer. Oh, very well. Then speak out, and speak clearly, and not like your Sphinx, which amuses itself by offering conundrums to the poor world. There will be no concealment. And I will speak frankly, replied Ben Omar, in a tone which had little appearance of frankness. He coughed two or three times and said, You had a father? Yes, as is customary in our country. Well? I hear that he is dead. Eight years ago. Well? He had made several voyages? I believe so, considering that he was a sailor. Well? In several seas? In all. Well? He once happened to go into the Levant? Yes. Well? During these voyages, continued the notary, to whom these brief replies gave no loophole. During these voyages he was about sixty years ago on the coast of Syria. Perhaps so, perhaps not. Well? These wells were so many digs in the ribs to Ben Omar. You'll have to try another tack, my good man, said Antifer to himself, if you want me to pilot you. The notary saw that he would have to attack him more straightforwardly. Have you any knowledge, said he, that your father had occasion to render a service, an immense service, to someone on the coast of Syria? I cannot say that I have. Well? Ah, said Ben Omar, much astonished at the reply. And you do not know that he received a letter from a certain Kamalik pasha? A pasha? Yes. Of how many tales? It does not matter, Mr. Antifer. The point is, that your father received a letter containing information of great value? I know nothing of it. Well? "'Have you not looked over his papers? "'It is not possible that such a letter would have been destroyed. "'It contained, I repeat, information of extreme importance. "'To you, Mr. Ben-Omar? "'To you also, Mr. Antifur, for, in short, "'it is that letter I am commissioned to get back again, "'and which might be the object of our bargain. "'In an instant it became clear to Enfer "'that the people who had sent Ben-Omar "'wanted to get hold of the longitude "'to find the place where the millions were concealed. "'The rascals!' he muttered to himself. "'They want to get my secret.' to buy my letter, and to go out and unearth my cash box. And perhaps he was not far out. At this stage of their interview they heard the steps of a man who was coming round the corner in the direction of the railway station. The notary stopped in the middle of a sentence. It seemed as though the man gave Omar a side look as he passed, or made a sign of denial, at which the Egyptian appeared much disconcerted. The man passed on, and disappeared. He was a stranger, about thirty years old, in the Egyptian costume of sallow complexion. Black gleaming eyes, stature above the medium height. Strongly built, determined looking, with anything but a pleasant expression about him. Did he and the notary know one another? Possibly. Were they not anxious that this should not be known just then? There was no doubt about that. Anyhow, Anderford did not notice this little bit of by-play. A look, a gesture, nothing more. And he continued the interview. Now, Mr. Ben Omar, said he, Will you kindly explain why you want so much to get this letter, to know what it contains, so much that you are willing to buy it from me if I happen to have it? Mr. Antifer replied the notary with some embarrassment. I have had a certain kemalik Pasha among my clients. On his behalf— You have had, did you say? Yes, and as the representative of his heirs— His heirs? exclaimed Antifer, with a movement of surprise that could not but astonish the notary. He is dead, then? He is dead. "'Steady,' muttered Antifer, grinding the pebble within his teeth. "'Kamalik is dead. That is worth remembering. And if they are up to any games—' "'And so, Mr. Antifer,' asked Ben Omar, giving him a side look, "'you have not got this letter?' "'No. That is a pity, for the heirs of Kamalik Pasha, who wish to collect everything that can recall the remembrance of their beloved relative. "'Ah, a matter of remembrance only. Dear kind hearts!' "'Simply so, Mr. Antifer, that these dear, kind hearts, as you say, "'would not have hesitated to have offered you a considerable sum "'to obtain possession of this letter. "'How much would they have given? "'What does that matter, if you have not got it? "'You might as well say. "'Oh, a few hundred francs.' "'Poof!' said Captain Antifer. "'Perhaps even a few thousand. "'Ha!' said Captain Antifer, whose patience was exhausted. and the grip bent Omar by the throat, dragged him toward him, and rolled out these words in his ear, with a shake between each. I have your letter. You have it? Your letter with the double K? Yes, the double K. That was my client's signature. I have it. I have read it and read it again. And I know, or rather I guess, why you ought to possess it. Sir? And you are not going to get it. Do you refuse? Yes, I do, unless you buy it from me. How much? asked the notary, digging his hand to his pocket to pick out his purse. How much? Fifty millions of francs. What a jump Ben Omar gave as Antifer, with his mouth open, his lips up, his teeth showing, looked at him as he had never been looked at before. And then he dryly added, You can have it or leave it as you please. Fifty millions, repeated the gasping notary. There is no bargain, Mr. Ben Omar. You will get no discount out of me fifty millions? That is the price, and they can be in cash or in note, or on a check on the Bank of France. The notary, abashed for an instant, gradually recovered his coolness. Evidently this confounded sailor knew of what importance his letter was to the heirs of Cameli. In fact, did it not contain the information necessary in the search of the treasure? The scheme for getting possession of it had failed. Antifer was on his guard. The letter must be bought, or rather the latitude which would complete the longitude which Ben Omar knew. But it may be asked, how did Ben Omar know that Antifer had the letter? Was he the former notary of the rich Egyptian? Was he the messenger instructed by the last wishes of Kamalik to bring Antifer to the longitude in question? That we shall soon see. But in any case, whether Ben Omar was or was not acting under the orders of the Pasha's heirs, he clearly understood that the letter would not be handed over without its price in gold. But fifty millions! Assuming a sly, coaxing air, he said, I think you said fifty millions? I did. That is one of the funniest things I ever heard in all my life. Mr. Ben Omar, would you like to hear a funnier? Gladly. Ah. Well, then, you are an old thief, an old scoundrel from Egypt, an old crocodile the Nile, Sir. There, I will stop. You are an old fisher in troubled waters, wanting to get at my secret instead of telling me yours, which is the only mission you were entrusted with. You suppose so? I suppose what is. No. What it pleases you to imagine. Enough, you consummate fool. Sir. I withdraw the consummate out of deference. And shall I tell you what you really want to know about the letter? Did the notary imagine that Antifer was going to commit himself? Anyhow, his two little eyes glowed like carbuncles as he waited. What you want to know, Ben Omar, is not what the letter says regarding the services rendered by my father. No. You want the four figures. You understand me well enough. The four figures. The four figures, murmured Ben-Omar? Yes, the four figures it contains, and which I shall not hand over for less than twelve and a half million each. That is all. We have said enough. Good morning. And sticking his hands into his pockets, Captain Antifor strode off, whistling a favorite air, of which nobody, not even himself, knew the origin, and which is more like the howling of a dog than any of the melodies of auber. Ben-Omar, petrified seemed to have taken root on the spot, as if he were a bollard or a mile-post. He who had reckoned twirling the sailor round his finger as if he were a fella, and Mohammed knows how he had dealt with the unfortunate peasants whose ill fortune had led them to his office, one of the best in Alexandria. He saw with haggard eye the sailor going further and further away from him, swinging his hips, hoisting his shoulder, first one and then the other, and gesticulating as if his friend Tregomine was with him under the usual fire. Suddenly, Antifor stopped. Had he encountered an obstacle? Yes. This obstacle was an idea that had just occurred to him. He had forgotten something. He returned to the notary, who was still as motionless as Daphne when she was turned into the laurel bush, to the great disappointment of Apollo. Mr. Ben Omar, he said. What is it you want? There's one thing I forgot to shout in your ear. What? The number. Ah, the number? Yes, the number of my house. Three. Rue de haute You may as well have my address and know that you will have a friendly reception when you come. When I come? Put the fifty millions in your pocket. And Antifer went off again while the notary sank and called on Allah and his prophet. End of chapter six.